figuratively, which is fine. Three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to Ungodly, the magical grimoire. <laughs> yes. I'm Avery, and this is Besh. Hello, hello, hello. Good to be back. We um, just got ourselves out of a really crazy heat uh, wave. It was kind of traumatizing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it induced some states of delirium and life felt like a fever dream for about a week. So that's why we're a little late recording. <laughs> um, yeah, what else has been going on with us? Ooh, all sorts of things, all sorts of things. Recently did uh, another bit of sigil magic and that seemed to have worked out fairly well so far um but that could be discussed at a later point um been learning a bit about fairies oh yeah interesting things like that mm -hmm. how about yourself my love? um well i was on a walk with my mom in the river valley and uh speaking of fairies there's all these little fairy houses on that side of the river um, that somebody puts together and they're really adorable. Anyway, I uh, came across this bench that had all these mushrooms plucked and just placed on them. Beautiful. Like like little offerings. I think probably a kid had, had plucked them. And there was this one that was very... What's that word you have for things that branch off? Uh, like rhizomorphic rhizomorphic <laughs> mushroom and it has all these different lips and it was big and white and pretty and Besh is always bringing home little things from outdoors for me so I was like oh this is a lovely gift to bring Besh <laughs> so, so we bring it in and and Besh was having a nap and um uh, he notices that I'm there and then kind of looks at me and then I'm presenting him with this mushroom and I put it on his chest and he goes oh hello there <laughs> and I'm like oh good he likes it and then I, I go away I piss off and then I hear <laughs> a minute later what the fuck <laughs> and I'm like, babe you said you said that you liked the mushroom just a minute ago <laughs> and so apparently he didn't register you didn't register any of it <laughs> it must have been in a fever dream of yours <laughs> yeah it's when it gets to a certain temperature discerning between reality and some sort of alternate realm becomes even more tricky than it typically is for me and that's already a, a pretty bendy barrier as it is so. yeah we've both been having crazy <laughs> dreams that mine at least last like like i know they say dreams only last you know seconds but no 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 i'd be in and out looking at the clock still in the same dream uh for hours so i've been having just that's how my heat dreams have been going <laughs> yeah it sounds a little bit like a benadryl trip <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> benadryl um <laughs> that's a song right yeah probably <laughs> everything is at this point <laughs> cool. so uh yeah what are we talking about today we have new characters i think uh yes yes today we get to introduce Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, we get to introduce the mysterious Thoth 
yeah. it's going to be yeah. interesting. And uh, there's going to be like a little thought. bit more name dropping as well, for sure. Yeah, Anton Mesmer is mentioned again. Um, yeah. Very important figure. Uh, we introduced him last week. Um, just, you know, a father of the occult. Mm. All right. Are we ready to get into it? I believe we are, my love. Let's check it out. So last week we ended off with talking about demons um, and a couple of people who were working with them, in specific goetic demons. That's right. Yeah. And um, there's going to be a goetic demon in this upcoming story. Who knows, and... maybe even a handful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his name is Ronway. Um, or some people say Renove. Yeah, yeah. It's that's one of the things about uh, grimoire demons, not just goetic, but grimoire demons in general. They're very often um, written in unstandardized spelling, partly because mm-hmm. the voice that tells you the name itself is more inclined to be like a whisper than a conversational voice, like you're hearing right now. Uh, and you know, it's it's often not a very typical voice you know it's sort of a in my experience a lot of it is kind of gravelly and ethereal and just sort of like and that's uh it doesn't really make spelling very easy so sometimes people would hear renove or ronway or ronru and it i think a lot of it also depends on um whoever's contacting it they've got their own uh pre-established linguistic biases as well. Hmm. Well, knock on wood, but <laughs> I uh, I think I'd be okay with never hearing a voice of a demon. Just saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the story. Absolutely. No, you are taking him entirely too seriously. Just because he shows up with a flaming sword doesn't make him menacing. Asroth loves you to think it, though. The thick German accent combined with the inebriated lilt in Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa's voice always amused Thoth, as did the looks on the faces of the locals in the tavern, bearing witness to the conversation between an old crank and a floating feather. Thoth, the Egyptian god of writing and magic, among other things, has kept the form of a writing plume for the last several millennia. Swaying his brownish, soft body toward Agrippa, he said, That's my point. The great Duke of Hell, Astaroth, can appear in any form and chooses one that unsettles many practitioners. He may be losing out on some of the more subtle mages among them. Oh, thoth. Also pragmatic and heartfelt, let a demon play. (laughs) He chuckled as his rounded belly punctuated his retort. He took another swig from his stein, the same one that he had formed in 1532, the night after invoking Furcus, a high demon in Night of Hell. Agrippa carried it with him to every inn, tavern, or home he's entered since. Pardon, may I ask you, have you seen Signor Franz Anton Mesmer? (laughs) 
a silvery Italian accent. I'm sorry for my terrible Italian accent. <laughs> Intreated upon Agrippa and Thoth. Who is asking and why? Said Agrippa from beneath a thick and furrowed brow. Surely you know. I am sent by Comte de Saint-Germain. And the great Count Alessandro de Gagliostro. The traveler boasted with an aristocratically puffed bosom. Those plume turned straight as a board as he shouted, Balsamo, you thief! Marana was my friend, you slangy, arrogant bastard! Blowing into a frenzied outrage, <laughs> he went in for a berserker attack, his quill tip stabbing into the left eye of Cagliostro a thousand times before he had the chance to release a guttural squelch of horror and pain, which he did precisely one third of a second after the thousandth jab. Both. We are trying not to get run out of town. What are you doing? Agrippa chided. This vermin killed my friend, a goldsmith named Marano. Turning sharply to face the man, he shouted, You're not fucking Count, you're Giuseppe Balsamo, and you don't deserve the name you've been taking for so long. Thoft softens back to his natural posture as he turns back to Agrippa. He went on to explain. Marano had asked Balsamo here to provide him with magical protection. You see, my friend Marano sought to uncover long buried treasure. He pointed his plume tip at the man, hunched over and very injured, and continued. Instead, this vapid, callous, callo fraud... Cracked the skull open and left him for dead so he could take the treasure for himself. Agrippa stood over the wounded heap of a man and said, From what I hear now, you should leave this tavern, this town, this country, and never look back, never speak Mesma's name or that of Saint Germain again. Or mark my words, you choke on your own tongue. I banish you, du best vertreibt, verbanta, by meine willen beseitigen. Upon Agrippa speaking these final syllables, he conjured a hot, strong wind from behind him that was spiraling aggressively toward Balsamo, who stubbornly fought to stand his ground while finishing his now bloody drink. He was ultimately hurled through the door of the tavern, squarely into the trunk of a stately oak tree. The locals in the tavern cheered and laughed at the bizarre but impressive scene they'd been witness to. The uproarious, jubilant din of the denizens drowned out the attempts of Balsamo to shout his gloomy portents that Mesmer was likely in real danger from one whom they would be least likely to suspect. Simply too many counts to count, he told the heir. 
Inside, the knight continued on with Agrippa regaling Thoth with tales of his goetic demon encounters, and Thoth, in turn, sharing some obscure autobiographical details. Agrippa, reminiscing his favorite invocations, said, The great Earl of Hell, Rondre, was an interesting one, probably the most helpful in writing my books. No offense. Thoth shook the tip of his plume. I'm taken. I'll tell you how I met him myself long ago. Most people don't know this, but I started off as a wob priest named Kismatun near Memphis, the ancient capital of Egypt. One day I was out meditating and foraging for offerings for my temple's deity, Bass. Come to think of it, probably why I took a shine thrown away. They kind of look similar from the lion face. Anyway, then I came across a mushroom. It seemed to glow just slightly and danced, bobbing up and down. When I plucked it up, I heard laughter from behind me and saw a translucent chubby fawnish man with hooves and a staff. He just kept laughing and then did a a strange side-to-side dance, and when he lifted his staff, it controlled my hand, and I brought the mushroom to my mouth. He told me he had many names, but to know them would be no good if I could not record them. He said he would teach me how to make meaningful shapes and sounds, taught me about numbers, what they mean, and how they work together in the grand scheme of the universe and beyond. All the while I was entranced by the synergy I felt spiritually from S, the palpable presence of Rongway, and the dancing mushroom it fed me. It was it was early in the day when I first saw the mushroom, and without me noticing, it had already become dawn of the following day. I went to my temple and asked Bess if I should trust and believe Ronway. If I had permission to use and teach writing. The statue was then etched with the seal of Ronway before my eyes. And then, next thing you know, I'm the scribe of the fucking gods. Crazy how things happen. Wait, Ronway taught you to write? That's absurd. Gobsmacked and slurring from too many steins now. Agrippa struggled to get a grip of what he'd just heard. No, you weren't listening. It was a result of the synergy of my already existing worship of Bath, which is why I'm an ostrich feather, you know. In tandem with the mere presence and conveyance of Ronway, as well as the consumption of the mushroom. Well, I, I think it was just one. Things got... Strange. <laughs> I still get a warm feeling every time I think about that little mushroom. It essentially changed my life and the whole course of humanity. Due to fatigue and intoxication, Agrippa rose slowly and carefully from his seat and declared in song, as he was prone to in this state, 
Ich muss pinkeln, ich muss schlafen, ich hoffe, ich werde nicht pinkeln in mein Schlafen. <laughs> With this canter about bodily functions, Thoth knew it was time for them both to retire for the night, which was already fast on its way to becoming morning. Gute Nacht, you bloated fool. Remind me to tell you more about numbers sometime. Thoth fraternistically goaded as he floated towards the door. Oh, and did I tell you about when Elegos taught chiromancy to the famous seer and Ulrich and Arfutin? Seven times tonight, replied Agrippa heading outside. Gute Nacht! Pinkeln und schlafen, so nicht zusammenfassen. He relieved himself at the designated hole with the expert aim of one who had reached this level of Bacchanalia enough times to manage so. His childish song resonating, a bit of a reverent reverence on the winds of the witching hour. That was an amazing story. I love the voices. Thank you. <laughs> Which character do you like the most? As I normally do in books, the omnipotent narrator. Oh, yes. In this case, that is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to make it sound like that. And I was uh, super, super shocked, actually, that um, I, I'd completely forgotten that you had included a little mushroom bit in your story. Mm. And it's just kind of funny that I brought up um, what happened yesterday, <laughs> um, which was a very relevant story. So it just came into my head anyway. I don't know. It's just a funny coincidence. Um, it is. And I also just uh, find it surprising and interesting that to kind of um, explore the topics that you were uh, exploring, that you used hallucinogenics and kind of introduced that into mysticism and its practice. Yeah, well, I, I'd say that, I mean, it, it seems fairly evident that use of hallucinogens and entheogens and psychotropics goes way back into like the days of Neanderthals, even um, the... I can't remember uh, what the location was, but the the Iceman, roughly 5,000 years old, uh, found somewhere, I believe, in Europe. I'll have to get back to us on this yeah. one. But, uh, anyway, he had um, several types of mushrooms on him. Um, some included uh, a rare variety of psilocybin-containing wow, mushrooms. Wow, crazy. Uh, there was also lion's mane mushrooms, which are very good for starting fires because they've mm -hmm. got this like spongy, fibrous kind of nature to them. <laughs> yeah. So. And it was kind of interesting because I, I don't really know about Egyptian gods like Thoth, etc. Mm. Is he Egyptian? Yes. Yes. Um, but to me, um, coming from Catholic school, I guess, it sounds kind of blasphemous blasphemic for uh this god to be contacting a demon through mushrooms mm. 
Mm, yes. Well, you know, again, here we we touch on something that I mentioned on our previous episode. The the notion of demon as it's heard in the modern Western world, it carries with that that sort of Catholicized connotation. And, and you know, anything demonic must be therefore wretched and horrible infernal (laughs) (laughs) and it just doesn't really reflect the etymology of the word or how um how these entities have been treated throughout human history right Uh, yeah sorry oh continue that's that's really interesting um and it kind of reminds me that next week we're kind of talking about thought 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 uh, sorry, thought forms. <laughs> Not thought forms. <laughs> Let's get that clear. <laughs> um, and uh, so, uh, just spoiler alert, uh, we're talking about Helena uh, Blavatsky, and she's kind of like the mother of theosophy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, she actually seemed, I don't know, it's kind of my little hunch since we've been talking that maybe she kind of conjured up this um this monk that she had been learning from apparently since she was very little um just by thinking about him so much Mm -hmm. and um so i'm kind of thinking that in catholicism i don't know hot take but (laughs) (laughs) it kind of seems like a recent thing um you know uh 300 years that we put so much emphasis on demons in the Catholic sort of way. Like there, it, like you said, it's relatively mm-hmm. uh, kind of new. And what if, you know, what if we just created them? I'm talking about Catholics. I'm not Catholic, but um, <laughs> just, just saying, what if we humans who are Catholic kind of, kind of created them with that fear, that intense thought that mm-hmm. comes through the act of being afraid yes yes absolutely um you know this this touches on something that i've been looking up recently as well uh mitch horowitz has some really interesting stuff to say about the concept of egregorials for example who's mitch horowitz uh mitch horowitz is a member of the theosophical society again a little tie into blavatsky mm-hmm. little tip of the hat mm-hmm. uh he not to say that that's all he does he's he's definitely uh, a scholar in his own right uh author of many books on many topics um and essentially if i had to paraphrase i would say he's a historian of the occult i think he'd agree anyhow uh it is he was talking about um, egregorials and how there seems to be this notion that they feed off of fear. They feed off of the emotional response that um, people experience when they see something that, uh, you know, there's there's these things called BVMs, you know, Blessed Virgin Marys. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it there's, there's a sort of an archetype. Um, a presentation that just naturally occurs, but it seems sort of preternatural, sort of outside of the normal realm of experience. And if you approach it with a Catholic lens, then you get a Blessed Virgin Mary experience of it, but maybe you instead have a a different framework and you might experience it uh, like 
perhaps if you're coming from more of an Arabic culture, you might perceive it as like a female jinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, jinn know. are kind of the Arabic demons. Yeah, yeah, but they're they're also in a way egregores or or like. A, what is an egregore? Uh, they're they're kind of like talpas also. They're, they're kind of thought, very similar. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. The, a collective entity that ends up growing beyond the sum of its parts, so to speak. So everybody thinks about it and puts their own thoughts about it into the world just by naturally thinking about it, discussing it, experiencing their life with that in mind. Then it outgrows us. It outgrows our thoughts and feelings and starts to feed on them, starts to devour them in a certain way. Right. But but don't worry if you're listening and you're kind of afraid about, you know, starting to think about new topics like this, to that you're going to give something energy. Basically, I do feel like, you know, if if you're scared sort of a thing and you're you're like, oh, all that stuff is damned. That's that's when you're getting into your own head that you can be affected. Um, and, you know, as a person who has had mental health issues, and and you think you know I would have been quite vulnerable to you know quote unquote being uh, possessed or something like that. Um, no, no way. And I I never I felt I've always felt very protected. And um, I think if you kind of go into the rest of your life kind of thinking that um, while you're interested in mysticism and researching. You know, as long as you feel confident in your guides or whatever you want to call them, um, that's that's pretty, yeah, yeah, that's pretty strong thought power in its own. And um, yeah, you don't even need to worry too much about, about like worrying basically, because you just know that blanket, as a blanket, you are protected. So just know that. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when I was talking about devouring, I, I think it's a handy metaphor, not that they necessarily consume our energy like food per se, but it's it's helpful to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got these potential guests who happen to have the munchies <laughs> and, you know, we could feed them terrible food and then we're terrible hosts. They become terrible guests. Mm. But... We've also got the opportunity to to feed them healthy, nourishing energy too, and I think that it's oh, more often than not reciprocated. If that's the case, very interesting idea. I prefer to think of myself as being protected in a blanket <laughs> as I'm researching stuff and thinking about this stuff. <laughs> well, you can definitely have your blanket of protection too while you extend perhaps an apple to this or that as you pass it by. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Should we just go on to uh, introducing next week? Uh, I think we are at almost that point of the show. No, after briefly consulting, we are indeed at that point of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so when I start, first started reacting to your story, uh, I mentioned Helena Blavatsky, or I guess maybe we would say Helen 
year? I'm not sure, but I think Elena. Yeah, Elena. Yeah. yeah, it has an E at the end. Um, and she is from Russia. She um, started the Theosophical Society in 1875. Um, and Theosophy is um, kind of described as knowing God through mystical knowledge and being able to kind of emancipate your spirit and I guess basically become divine through that mystical knowledge. Mm -hmm. And um, I am basically going to introduce her into our weaving story here next week. And she uh, was really interesting because she kind of has stories about um, the kind of the first astral stories I've ever heard, but I'm sure there's there's other ones, just they had very, very different names. But she uh, did some astral travel and apparently did it with um, a, a couple of monks that she knew, one that might be a tulpa or a thought form that she thought up, at least perhaps, in my perhaps. estimation. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about Helena Blavatsky and astral projection or astral travel, whatever you would like to call it. I was reading this really interesting article for Mel magazine by Hussein Kasfani, and it's called I astral projected my way out of quarantine. Nice. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's this trend that has happened since quarantine, quarantine was put upon us in 2020, mm-hmm. where people online are creating these little groups Um, on Reddit, on Facebook, and it's to learn how to astral travel, astral project in a way of escaping being stuck at home (laughs) and in quarantine. So my question is, why isn't this part of the general curriculum? (laughs) (laughs) Good question, good question. (laughs) Um, And interestingly enough, obviously this is not a new concept, and actually the CIA um, has been known to employ uh, astral projection or AP, if you want to call it, and uh, they, they call get their it, dirty fingers in every pie. Yeah, they? exactly. They call it remote viewing. So mm. same thing, but different name. Um, and here in Canada, uh, according to Kesvani's article, the interesting one I was reading, um, there's somewhat of a. a an expert and his name is Tommy Hickey. He's Toronto based and he's started since the pandemic astral projection services. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) The way he describes it, it kind of seems like learning how to meditate because you have to be able to really relax the body and just learn to let go. I was going to ask you, is there, um, is there some sort of an overlap or an interlay with transcendental meditation in this? Well, I don't know very much about transcendental meditation, but I think you okay. kind of enter it the same way as regular med- meditation. So, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, just really it's about relaxing and clearing your mind and letting go. Um, he right explains on. that the purpose is not just to visit interesting places. It's really to learn about seeing how your body is feeling and if you're kind of carrying any extra weight spiritually, mm. uh, emotionally, and um, how that might be showing up physically. Okay. 
so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and apparently some people come into his group and they start saying, oh, I have this amazing trick and this amazing shortcut to reach this crazy other dimension and I can teach it to you for a hundred dollars or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Hickey just, just shuts that right down. He, um, doesn't believe it's something that's, you know, like, unless you're, you're, you're teaching the actual craft of it. Um, it's a highly personal experience. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you wouldn't even have the same journey as someone else to the same place necessarily or yeah. the same experiences while you're there. Yeah, sort of what's good for the goose isn't necessarily good for the gander kind of thing. Exactly. So, so you don't need to pay somebody to show you tricks and loopholes. I strongly agree. For getting into astral projection, he mentions this specific technique where you close your eyes and you start focusing on energy movement behind your eyelids. Um, and it shows itself as shapes and patterns of light that kind of slowly morph, maybe quickly, but you know, when you're kind of looking. You mean like phosphines? Yeah. So you, you start to see shapes and, and they'll move across or oftentimes I kind of see them as green. Okay. Um, like if, if I'm in a somewhat lit room, then I'll, I'll see kind of green behind my eyes. Okay. okay. Yeah. And it moves into different, um, shapes and this is interesting because it's actually kind of reminiscent of scrying mm. yeah and scrying's where you kind of look into an object like a black mirror and you see so same sort of thing shapes in it and depending on how they move you might um kind of foresee something or get a message at least i think that's how you describe scrying and its purpose yeah yeah i'd say that's a that's a fairly accurate description. I mean, unless you're a particular individual by the name of Edward Kelly and you're just using it to get laid. That might be a different <laughs> situation then. But. <laughs> yeah, um, Edward Kelly? Was that? Yeah, Edward Kelly was um, Ke uh, not Kelly D. That's somebody I'm... I might have known. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. John D's assistant, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, John D. was a major occult figure. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but he had unfortunately a little bit of a scamming assistant. Um. <laughs> it's not entirely clear that he wasn't a little bit scammy himself, too. Mm. Not to discredit anyway. his work, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's kind of interesting because that whole scrying thing and, and looking through the back of your eyelids reminds me of this time that I was having a sleepover with one of my best friends, Dominique, when I was little. Okay. And we had <laughs> just had all this Coca-Cola and we were just so hopped up and excited. <laughs> and we had just been up all night, basically watching like Simpsons reruns. They just happened <laughs> to be on one after the other. And um, it was quite fun because Dom didn't have very much um, pop ever as a kid, let alone Coke. So it, Coca-Cola, I should say. So um, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were having quite the time. And then we started to get like a little bit, you know, like sleepy and groggy, but we were still kind of wired a little bit, you know, that sort of mm, state. That wonderful overtired goofiness. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, but it kind of turned into relaxation. And what was really interesting 
is we shut our eyes and but we, we we kept talking for like an hour or something and we started to notice that we started seeing these shapes behind our eyes and we were laughing and giggling about it and then i just become awestruck because became awestruck because these shapes became like vivid vivid cartoons with defined lines and mm. patterns and it was almost like somebody had come into my brain and started illustrating these characters and it was just amazing and I said Dominique are you seeing this and she said yes yes I am I'm not sure if she actually was or she was just playing along but mm. I I just remember it as being so fascinating and like really it's one of the weirdest non-spooky spooky sort of stories i have <laughs> just delightful. i have to ask uh, were the colors or uh, were the cartoons in color or black and white color okay interesting yeah, yeah. Very and interesting weirdly enough i don't know if it was near christmas time but a lot of them were kind of christmas theme hmm. and um i've had kind of in my place in toronto when i lived there i had an experience where i woke up in the middle of the night with a start and I saw this, um, uh, sorry, this Christmas ornament hanging in front of me. And it was, yeah, and it was weird because it was like sometime after I'd woken up also with a start and seen some crazy spiders crawling around my room. And so it was oh, almost that's always like, lovely. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was almost like this gift that maybe my brain or who knows, maybe some ethereal body gave to mm. me. To be like, oh, here's something beautiful. Relax. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, and I've never actually tied that together with um, seeing those sort of Christmassy cartoons in the old house. So I don't know, maybe something that's protecting me or, you know, one of my guides or something just like to call me with Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the Coca-Cola Corporation created Santa Claus. Maybe they're just... It's just something that's become there because you enjoy your Coca-Cola sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's become an egregorial. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, anywho. <laughs> so uh, the writer of the article actually right. decided to give this a go and work with Tommy to achieve this. And so he is, you know, in his own space and he's relaxing and he ends up in his favorite kebab house. And this hmm. is a guy who was very... That's strangely specific. Yes, and he was just very, um, what's the word, uh, reticent or... Hesitant? Hesitant about this whole experience and not really believing. And not, not that he, he... Yeah, he's still a little bit that way, but he was just so amazed that it... The floorboards were there and everything and the, the menu, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and as he started to focus in for to see more detail, this sort of cracking motion happened in his body. Um, and he was just like whipped right the heck out of there. And he said it was actually painful. With, like thrown out of the building? It's almost like... You've reached somewhere and then your body or your mind is like, wait, you're not supposed to be able to travel across the city. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they call it slingshotting and it happens a lot. Oh, like, like if you're in a video game or something and you approach 
the border of the level and you just kind of get booted back. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But he thought it was a really lovely experience because, again, during quarantine and he really missed his favorite place to hang out, his favorite haunt. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> so it was nice for the seconds or whatever it lasted. <laughs> well, maybe we should do that for you so you can go and spend some time in cafes without having to worry. Yeah, I think so. I actually, in preparation for this, tried a moment of doing this. Um, I decided that the light that was in front of me was kind of uh, not conducive to seeing any of those shapes, like it was too bright. Mm. So I turned it off and then it was too dark. So it needs to be some sort of, it needs to be a special balance of light. And I kind of remember that about being a child in my living room. It was just like the perfect amount of light. So I had to figure mm. out what that was again. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, there's there's always been um, an inclination to pay attention to the the solar hours and the lunar hours and figure out that that sort of perfect mixture for your goal, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about next week. Um, we are so thankful for everyone that tuned into our first episode and just oh, like absolutely. deeply touched by mostly friends and family, but um, we, we know we'll have some people that find <laughs> this really interesting. <laughs> and you know, the feedback has been incredibly positive and constructive and we just appreciate people taking the time because yeah. I mean, I know this is essentially play for us because this is very enjoyable for us to do but it I also mean, the does writing take is hard work yeah yeah it does take a considerable amount of time for research for writing for planning and editing and all that fun stuff but <laughs> and your beautiful sounds so you put it in music <laughs> thank you <laughs> um so uh with that being said if you do want to support and give us a nod um please follow us at uh on social media we have instagram which is at un.godly podcast and i believe it's the same on facebook but you can search ungodly the magical grimoireum or ungodly podcast it should show up and on twitter we have at un underscore godly podcast uh, i also want to make a quick mention here um in light of a recent conversation I had, if anybody is curious about how at least I particularly go about my magic, I'm not going to speak on, on your behalf, Avery, but if anybody wants to get in touch and discuss uh, the specific details of, you know, I, I keep mentioning that I do this sigil magic and this, that, the other, whatever. If you want to know more about it, get in touch. I'm not a secretive person and I don't think that it's helpful to be secretive about ritual. I think that discussion is helpful. I think that it's healthy and I think that it's illuminating. And the more we share together, the more we grow together. So I'm right, perfect. So if they want to do that, we have the email address ungodly.t.m.g at gmail.com. True, true. Um, personally, I, I spend a little more time on Twitter. Okay. Um, so if they want to get a hold of us on that one, that's again at un underscore godly podcast on Twitter. And if you want to reach out um, to any of those avenues and 
on, on social media or email and let us know about any stories you've personally had. We would love to hear them. Absolutely. Please get in touch. <laughs> we want to devour all the stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to um, talking to you next time and we hope you have a lovely week. Stay weird and wacky, folks. Thank <laughs> you.